0: Love Radio. In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics.
1: The aim of the seed industry is a trillion dollars of profit from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own seed. The aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across
0: our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the food that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered food. Americans have a right to know if their food is genetically
1: engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, the genetic crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. The hidden beneficiaries. Who exactly is benefiting most from the GM biotech industry? And are there others benefiting from them? What kinds of individuals and companies are involved, and how do they affect the rest of us? Well, it might be shocking to learn who some of them are, like household names we've all grown up with. But to get a better idea, we only have to look at the long list of those who opposed the GM labeling issue in California's Measure 37 just last November. Those against the measure were vehement in their opposition, going to great lengths and expense to prevent it from passing. And why? Why? Well, tonight, I'd like to examine this and other related topics as we look into yet another disturbing aspect of the rabbit hole that is the GM biotech industry. You know, it was once said that all roads lead to Rome, and in a similar fashion, it might be said that the web of curious connections among biotech beneficiaries seem to consistently point back to the GM industry itself. There is really no greater concern facing this country or our world, folks. It's not oil or coal or energy to power the planet. It's not social issues or federal deficits. It's not war or politics. Of course, all these are important and warrant our attention, but it is the issue of genetic modification in all aspects. That is the biggest issue of our time, the biggest crisis of our time, possibly in the history of mankind. It is the biggest because it has the capacity to completely change what we are and who we become as the human race, and is likely the key to our own destruction. When we talk about food, there is nothing more basic or essential. We cannot live without it. Yet control of our food resources is taking place at an accelerating pace. A well-known statistic says that 95% of the world's wealth is controlled by 5% or less of the population. And perhaps this should put things into perspective for us and be an indication that complete control of our food supply is not so far-fetched after all. What makes things more complicated is the network of those either depending on or benefiting from the biotech industry. And this creates a system that has a much broader reach and impact on us all. As the industry grows, others stand to gain as well. But where do we draw the line for the rest of us? California's Measure 37 was placed on the ballot last November 2012. If the measure had passed, it would have required mandatory labeling of most GMO-containing food products sold in grocery stores, with a few exceptions. This would have allowed consumers to readily see whether or not food items contain GM ingredients. The measure was coined the right to know and gained a lot of support from the organic foods industry. They contributed about $8 million in support of the measure. However, over $45 million was spent by those wanting to shut it down. $45 million in ad campaigns, picketers, television and radio ads, signage, and organized protest groups. And Monsanto was at the top of the list. In fact, it was no surprise that the rest of the big six biotech companies, DuPont, Bayer, Syngenta, BASF, and Dow, all pitched in millions to defeat the measure. But there were also a host of others who contributed resources and significant sums of money to oppose GM labeling and kill the measure. Companies like Nestle, Hershey, Coke and Pepsi-Cola, Kellogg's, General Mills, Kraft Foods, Heinz, Campbell Soup, Del Monte, Ocean Spray, and the list goes on and on. Clearly, these and many more food companies involved in the funding felt it was important enough to spend large amounts of money to prevent consumers from knowing that their products contain GMO. It's unfortunate that deceit has somehow become an acceptable standard for this industry, for them to knowingly withhold information from the public using a what-they-don't-know-won't-hurt-them philosophy. It's despicable. They are seemingly desperate to keep this knowledge from the public. Why is that? If GM foods are healthy and safe, why the big spending and campaigns to keep it a secret? Perhaps they know something we don't. It is a known and documented fact that general populations of consumers reject having GMO in their food. This has been proven in over 49 countries throughout the world. Countries such as Russia, Australia, the UK, France, Hungary, and Japan. That's just to name a few. The outcry has been so great that these populations have pressured their governments to either prevent GM seeds and food from entering their countries, or at the very least, impose mandatory labeling of all GM products. So it is clear that food companies in the United States have a motivation to keep the American people in the dark, primarily because they stand to lose profit. They know that consumers in this country would likely reject their GMO-containing products, just like any other population would. Here's a clip with U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders pointing out that other countries have GM restrictions, yet the United States still does not. It's a longer piece, but an important one. Have a listen.
0: Mr. President, there are strong precedents for labeling. The FDA, as everybody knows, already requires the labeling of over 3,000 ingredients, additives, and processes. If you want to know if your food contains gluten, Uh, aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, trans fats, or MSG, you simply read the ingredients labeled. Similarly, the FDA requires labeling for major food allergens, such as peanuts, wheat, shellfish, and others. But Americans, for some reason, are not afforded that same information when it comes to genetically engineered foods. Now, here is a very important point to make. What I am asking now for the people of America is something that exists right now all over the world. Genetically engineered foods are already required to be labeled in 49 countries around the world including Russia, the UK, Australia, South Korea, Japan, Brazil, China, New Zealand and others and the entire European Union allows its countries to require such labels, which is essentially what this amendment is about. It is not telling, but it is requiring. It is allowing states the right to go forward if that is what the people of those states want. So if this is good for 49 or more countries around the world, why is it not acceptable in the United States of America? And the answer is pretty simple, that we have a large, powerful, multinational corporation who is more concerned about their own profits than they are about allowing the American people to know what is in the food that they are eating.
1: Here again, we have profit before public health and safety, folks. A large corporation's profit is a higher priority than your safety. How is it that Americans are not allowed to know what is in their food, but other countries are? As Senator Sanders said, the answer comes back to huge corporations like Monsanto. Unfortunately, corporate America is the controlling factor that drives this country. And though it's responsible for many benefits that we enjoy as a nation, it is also driven solely by profit and gain of power to make more profit. The biotech industry is comprised of huge money-making corporations that stand to lose profit if U.S. consumers become aware of what's really going on. So it is in their best interest to mask the truth, a doable task since they already control so many aspects of media, government, and commerce. The American people only see what these corporations want them to see. That's how it works. And in this system, many American farmers have become dependent beneficiaries of these biotech corporations, and they stand to lose profit as well if there is a change to the status quo. This is why California Measure 37 saw so much opposition from farmers who were curiously making the same anti-labeling arguments as Monsanto, even going so far as making Monsanto appear as champions in support of small farmers. For example, Jamie Johansson, second vice president of the California Farm Bureau, stated this, quote, As for the opposition to Measure 37 being bankrolled by big business, it's just how the system works. And big money helped amplify small voices. It was an opportunity for the voice of the small farmer to be heard. It's expensive to legislate through the ballot box. If you're going to win and you're going to get your message across in California, it's expensive. End quote. Now, it's interesting that Mr. Johansson didn't mention why big money was concerned in the first place about helping small voices. Big corporations do not spend millions of dollars just to help small voices if they do not have a financial interest. Statements like this from Mr. Johansson would have us believe otherwise, that small farmers would be bogged down in court or have unnecessary costs added to their farming processes, a sentiment that is supposedly echoed by many others in agriculture a convenient argument, but rather the fundamental reason, the true reason that farmers are opposed to measures like 37 is because their profits would be negatively impacted. They know that their crops have come to depend on biotech companies like Monsanto. They provide the package of GM seed and related chemicals that go along with them. This has become the industry standard in our country, and to rock the boat, so to speak, at this point would be a great expense to farmers across the nation. Other beneficiaries of the biotech industry are the many U.S. universities specializing in agriculture or genetic research. And funding for any research at a university relies heavily on outside support, usually in the form of federal or state grants that happen to be available. In many cases, though, support comes from other sources, typically those in industry who have a special interest in the research being performed. It's no surprise, then, that this could lead to corruption and conflict of interest. High-ranking administrative officials in these research colleges have a financial motivation to encourage such relationships. And, of course, companies like Monsanto do as well, where they use their great financial power and influence to essentially exploit the names and prestige of these institutions and scientists to promote their agenda. A prime example of this can be heard in the statements by UCLA molecular biologist Dr. Bob Goldberg as he speaks in opposition to GMO labeling. In fact, Dr. Goldberg was a token scientific authority on GMO during the Major 37 debate, quoted repeatedly by Monsanto and other biotech companies for statements just like this. Quote, Bioengineered crops are the safest crops in the world. We've been testing them for 40 years. They're like the Model T Ford. There is not one credible scientist working on this that would call it unsafe. If we're going to solve the problems of food security, we're going to use genetic engineering to do that, End quote. Now notice the embedded statement here, automatically discrediting any scientist whose research might contradict Mr. Goldberg. Let me read it again, where he says, quote, there is not one credible scientist working on this that would call it unsafe, End quote. This statement is absolutely false, but is completely aligned with Monsanto's doctrine. When a scientist makes these kind of absolute statements, it's a strong indicator of where their true interests lie and who is supporting them. They are beneficiaries. Goldberg actually served as program director of several USDA plant genetics and crop improvement panels, whose job it was to determine which research universities would receive grant money. Dr. Goldberg's own personal research is dedicated to identifying all the genes required to make a seed, research that is useful to Monsanto and the USDA. And it's worth repeating, he is directing panels to determine where millions of dollars of grant money goes. Is the picture becoming clearer? When he was asked in an interview about the environmental and health risks of genetically modified foods, he replied, quote, there's not one case, not one example, not one shred of credible scientific evidence indicating that anything that we've done in the manipulation of plant material or the making of crops has been harmful to humans. End quote. Dr. Goldberg's position is quite clear and disturbing. He is an example of one more knowledgeable scientist on Monsanto's payroll, used as a mouthpiece in their ongoing pro-GMO campaign. But there are many others like him. For instance, Dr. Henry Miller, a prominent academic researcher who was employed at the FDA where he lectured frequently on the regulatory requirements for biotechnology products and was also the founding director of the Office of Biotechnology at the FDA where he was an outspoken advocate for GMO technology. Here's a clip with Dr. Miller speaking about the safety of genetic modification, making the claim that it was proven by the European Union to be as safe or likely safer than conventional foods. Have a listen to this. The key
0: points I want to make today are that um, genetic modification of plants, animals, and microorganisms is not new and it has been both safe and monumentally successful. Uh, even the very risk adverse uh risk averse anti biotechnology European Union recently published the results of eighty one risk assessment studies and concluded that uh, the new biotechnology, gene splicing, and its products are in fact at least as safe and, and likely to be safer than uh conventional agriculture and food products.
1: It is astonishing how cavalier these people are in making claims of extensive testing and reliable scientific studies with regard to the safety of GM foods, and that any research to the contrary is simply not credible. It is also interesting to point out in Dr. Miller's comment that if the European Union has concluded GM foods to be so safe, why are they so opposed to having it in their countries? Something doesn't add up there, does it? Keep in mind that Dr. Miller was a very high-ranking official in the FDA and was in charge of forming policy on biotech research and regulatory processes. These are the kinds of people in charge, making critical decisions about what is safe or not safe for human consumption. These are the people who have a personal, financial interest in supporting Monsanto's agenda and use their professional titles and clout to give credibility to the practices of GM technology. And this is frightening, folks. It is clear that Monsanto's monetary influence has a significant effect on any research that is done in the biotech industry and exploits this to its advantage. Because universities and scientists are dependent on funding, they are inhibited from conducting unbiased research. In order to continue receiving support for their departments, these institutions must produce satisfactory results that align with Monsanto's interests. In fact, a submission was made to the EPA by 26 university scientists describing the constraints that agribusiness has put on them, not allowing them to conduct objective research. The scientists were afraid to reveal their names because of the threat of funding cutoffs looming over them. So even though research is compromised, universities across the nation are forced to support the biotech agenda. And it's why we have scientists like Dr. Goldberg shouting from the rooftops in support of GM technology. Something we cannot forget, though, is that Monsanto essentially controls which research goes to regulatory agencies like the FDA and EPA. In fact, they also control the screening process within these very agencies. For example, Monsanto was required to submit a scientific report on bovine growth hormone to the FDA so the agency could determine its safety. Monsanto's Margaret Miller authored the report, and then shortly before submitting it, left Monsanto and was then hired by the FDA. Her first job at the FDA was to determine whether or not to approve the report she had just written for Monsanto. (laughs) It is truly incredible. But the bottom line here, folks, is that Monsanto essentially approved its own report. This is the kind of corruption that exists in the corporate world, a world where high-ranking government officials pull strings or where scientists are pressured to produce results that are favorable to a business agenda. This is so blatantly wrong and undermines any faith and trust in our protective agencies. How can there be trust when officials running these agencies are the same people who are benefiting financially from the biotech industry? And yet, another example of the hidden beneficiaries of the biotech industry can be found in organizations like the AAAS, that's the American Association for the Advancement of Science, an international nonprofit organization with the mission statement, quote, to advance science, engineering and innovation throughout the world for the benefit of all people." Now, this organization was very outspoken against the labeling of GM foods in California, claiming that since they are safe for consumption, there is no need to bother with labeling. They went on to list other organizations that supposedly held the same philosophy, organizations like the World Health Organization, the American Medical Association, the U.S. National Academy of Sciences, and the British Royal Society, all of which were taken out of context. For example, the World Health Organization actually says that ongoing risk assessments are needed and that GM foods and their safety should be assessed on a case-by-case basis and that it is not possible to make general statements on the safety of all GM foods. And also, the American Medical Association strongly favors pre-market safety testing of GM foods, which the FDA does not currently require. If we look at the source of the pro-GMO statements made by the AAAS, we see that they originate from Nina Fedoroff, the chairperson of its board of directors. And she states, quote, Several current efforts to require labeling of GM foods are not being driven by any credible scientific evidence that these foods are dangerous, end quote. Again, we hear the blanket discrediting of any research contradicting the safety of GM foods. And it's interesting because Federoff was the science advisor to Condoleezza Rice in the Bush administration, who also has ties with our friend Dr. Henry Miller. Federoff was listed as a leading scientist on the anti-labeling major in California and is quoted as being passionately opposed to labeling, which is no surprise considering she served on the board of directors for a big money corporation, Sigma Aldrich Chemical Company, based in St. Louis. Well, by now, it should be no surprise for us to hear about high-ranking officials with connections and roots leading back to the biotech industry. They have a financial interest but it is still bothersome to think that our regulatory agencies could be subject to the same temptations. For instance, why would it be that recently the USDA plans to change the rules so that genetically modified seed companies like Monsanto will get speedier regulatory reviews? And with faster reviews, there will be even less time spent on evaluating potential dangers. As a matter of fact, the USDA's goal is to cut the approval time for GMO crops in half in order to quickly implement them into the global food supply. Why are they doing this? Why? Because Monsanto is losing sales with longer approval times. That's why, and that's only why. And why should they care? Because the USDA is working with Monsanto as a partner of sorts, where they can actually profit from patents they hold That's right, the USDA can and does hold patents on gene technology and actually collects royalties from them, more hidden beneficiaries. It's so hard to believe, but research in biotechnology is commonly shared between the USDA and industry. Well, to keep things in perspective here, consider that there are nearly 40 high-ranking officials throughout the U.S. government that have directly worked for Monsanto at some time in their career, with several who have ping-ponged back and forth. And this doesn't include all those who receive financial support from them. For example, consider Monsanto's contributions to Representative Frank D. Lucas, who's received the most money so far. Lucas just happens to be chairman of the House Agricultural Committee, through which every farm-related piece of legislation must pass. Convenient for Monsanto, isn't it? They also gave over $77,000 to other members of the House Agricultural Committee. This seems grossly unfair and corrupt, but it's the way the system works. And how about Monsanto paying money to lobbyists to help pass laws to extend tax credits for companies doing research, or to change the way the Department of Homeland Security handles security at chemical facilities, with chemicals being a big part of Monsanto's product portfolio. Monsanto's influence can be seen stretching back to the George Bush senior administration and has involved the Clintons, George W. Bush, and now President Obama. Something happens when people get into positions of power. Obama was a staunch supporter of GM labeling when he was first running for president. Here's what he said in his campaign before being elected for president.
0: We'll let folks know whether their food has been genetically modified, because Americans should know what they're buying.
1: Well, that was a short and sweet clip, but with an important point. Since being elected, Obama has done nothing about GM labeling, as he promised. It remains an obscure issue, with no immediate change in the near future. In fact, Obama is in lockstep with Monsanto, as he has appointed several of its people and supporters to high-ranking government positions. For instance, Michael Taylor, current deputy commissioner for foods in the FDA. He's been back and forth from Monsanto to the FDA since the 1990s. Or Tom Vilsack, Obama's new agriculture secretary, who is a leading advocate for Monsanto and genetic engineering. And then there is Roger Beachy, who was appointed chief of the USDA's National Institute of Food and Agriculture, but has been a longtime Monsanto collaborator. His current USDA position involves awarding monetary grants to research university, with awards totaling approximately $200 million each year. A Monsanto guy who now holds a position in the USDA that is responsible for deciding which research universities and institutions receive grant money. That is a blaring conflict of interest. There are countless other examples of Monsanto's influence in both the government and the business world, creating relationships with big oil companies like Exxon or the world's third largest public corporation, Walmart, or the CEOs of fast food and processed food companies. Their reach is extensive. Unfortunately, we live in a world that is controlled by big money corporations where profit always comes before health and safety, a world where key people can be purchased to advance corporate agendas. This isn't a fantasy, folks. This isn't a sci-fi movie. It's very real, and we're all a part of it, whether we like it or not. So now we'll move on to a special segment of the program called The Listener's Voice, which is where folks out there have kindly taken the time to write into the website with their questions and comments, and to close each show of the program, I'll get through as many as I can. And I'll start this evening with a comment that was actually left on the Facebook page, a really, really great question from Valerie Niederhofer. She writes... I am wondering if the European monetary crisis is at all related to Monsanto's foreign policy agenda. Where is WikiLeaks? Well, Valerie, thanks for leaving your comment. This is a really great question. I'd like to have a smoking gun response, but I'm not sure I have one for you this time. This is a very complex issue. Uh, As you know, there are many factors involved with something of this magnitude, and who's to say that Monsanto's agenda isn't one of them? Uh, Certainly they are responsible for a host of questionable actions and behaviors so much so that it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, You know, it's true that they have used U.S. political machinery to apply pressure to foreign governments in an effort to push their GM agenda. But I can't really see a direct relation between that and what's going on with the monetary crisis. But that doesn't mean it isn't happening either. Maybe WikiLeaks will surprise us all one day. Please keep me informed if you hear anything on this, though, and I'll do the same. Thanks again for your great comment. And up next, we have Craig Bershwin. Craig writes into the show and says, Hi, Anna, I've been tuning into your show for the last couple weeks now, and enjoy it. Thanks for doing it. I'll get right to my question comment. I enjoy wines and have dabbled a bit with making them. I'm wondering if anyone knows if wines that are purchased on the market contain GMO. I know that pests can be an issue, and grapes are sprayed with herbicides. Have they produced a GM grape that I'm unaware of? Thanks. Well, hi, Craig. Thanks so much for your kind words about the show. Well, I've got some good news. There aren't any GM grapes sold commercially as of now. But here's the bad news. Scientists in Florida are working on making that happen in the near future. And the motivation for this all gets back to pests, like you mentioned, uh, pests that like to ruin growing crops, and grapes are no exception. So not surprisingly, these scientists are working on pesticide-tolerant grape varieties. Uh, But the idea isn't too popular among winemakers just yet. France is not receptive to the idea at all, along with Australia and even growers here in the U.S. Uh, I should say that GMO has found its way into some wines, though, due to the use of genetically modified yeast as an ingredient in the fermentation process, uh, as I'm sure you know. Although this GM yeast claims to shorten the time of wine production and save on production costs, It's still GMO And winemakers tend to be more conscientious About the ingredients that go into their product But we should all still be warned That at least in this country No food product is required to have GM labeling So a wine may have been produced with GMO yeast Um, You know, there's plenty of wines out there That are GMO free Just check it out to be sure Okay, thanks for writing into the show And Monica Sweet writes in and says, Hi, I've been listening to your shows on YouTube, and they're pretty good. Whenever I mention GMO to my friends, they don't have a clue about what I'm talking about. A friend of mine says she's allergic to peanuts but wonders if it could be due to something else. Her eyes get runny when she eats them. I told her it could be because they're genetically modified. Are they? I mean, do they bring out allergies in people, and if she is eating them, maybe that's the real reason. Hi, Monica. Thank you so much for writing in. I'm glad that you're enjoying the show, and thank you for sharing your concern for your friend. Uh, the latest news I have for you on this is that they are working on GM peanuts, but they are not being produced commercially at this time. So I don't believe your friend is suffering due to genetically modified peanuts. However, nuts are a common source of allergies for lots of people. I love them too, but if she's having a consistent allergic reaction like that every time she eats them, she should probably go see her doctor and get it checked out. Uh, she might find in the process that there are other food allergens that are contributing to her uh, to her condition, but I'm glad you brought this topic up because most processed foods we eat do contain GMO in them, and these are known to produce allergy symptoms in many people. So if your friend is able to do it, maybe she should try to eat a non-GMO diet for a while. and and see if anything changes for her there. Uh, If she does do something like that, I'd love to hear about the results, though, okay? Thanks for writing in. And with that, I've run out of time in this segment. If you would like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I would love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, just fill in the form and send me along your thoughts. I will feature as many as I can during each broadcast. Your voice really does matter, and it will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. This show is a conversation, and that's where all change begins. So let's get talking. I also want to just tell you about the Facebook page for the series. If you are enjoying the show and would like to participate in some more interactive communication, I'd love for you to come give us a like uh, at www.facebook.com slash Anna Kavanaugh, Mad Science, Genetic Crossroad. And I hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Mad Science, The Genetic Crossroad. Please join me every Tuesday for more on GMO. On next week's show, that's Tuesday, March 13th, we'll continue our conversation with an episode named Parallels. Often, art defines real life and in many forms predicts and even creates the future. It is uncanny how art has revealed so many parallels between fact and fiction. What have we learned from past works of art that manifested their message into reality? What are some of these parallels? And using the past as a guide, can we prevent a human catastrophe in the future? I hope you'll join me for next week's broadcast. If we destroy nature, surely nature will destroy us. For while we may hold dominion over nature, we do not possess its wisdom. Until next time, be well, be healthy, and be informed.